Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Paris of Copper Beach Financial Group. John, how are you? I'm doing great, Eric. How are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic. The listening audience doesn't get the pleasure of seeing you like I do. And you and Michael are sitting in your studio, which is decorated for Christmas. Yeah, Love it. Absolutely. Yes, little, little festive activities going on here, but that's the way it should be. Hey, Michael, is he behaving himself? No. Uh, depends on the day. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is Santa knows, but you know, he, he's got cl- close connections with Santa. So <laughs> yes. yeah, that G2 works, you know, yep. they, don't, they, they go after G1 all the time. I'm certainly leveraging the holiday season with my toddlers. Uh, oh, to, uh, I bet. That's yeah. fantastic. Yep. Well, guys, I know that you brought a guest on the show today and you've got a lot to talk about. Who'd you bring on? Uh, we brought a gentleman from Royal Energy, a good friend of ours, Don Hauser, and he's uh, one of my oil guys. I, uh, for clear transparency here, I buy some oil from this gentleman. And uh, today, today's session, I thought it'd be interesting because we, we we get a lot of questions on oil and what's going on with the politics of it, and what's going on with the pricing, and and does inflation is be a factor? Or has it affect oil? So, so Don agreed to join us. Don, thanks for coming. You bet. Good to be here, John. Yeah, yeah. good to see you. Well, good that well, we saw you earlier, but good to hear hear you now. Anyway, so I thought I'm just going to throw it out to you, let you kind of run with it. But I think it'd be a good outline first on who you are, um, how long you've been in the industry, what you primarily do as, a, as an organization. And then let's get into the oil patch and what it's all about and help some clients understand maybe some tax benefits, how it all works and all those magical things. So, Don, it's all yours. You bet. Yeah. So Royal Energy has been a uh, publicly owned oil and gas, natural gas producer. For the past 35 years, 1986, uh, my father and I started the company and brought in a team of geologists and engineers and built the company primarily as a natural gas producer. And then about three years ago, Royal Energy merged with another company, which is a team of petroleum engineers and geologists that were formerly with the makers. Uh, Johnny Jordan was with Exxon. Jeff Kearns was with mobile and those two met in that merger and uh, mike mccaskey was with union oil of california and these guys built a portfolio of oil and gas fields that are formerly you know with the majors and right in amongst where the majors are producing and so just a real talented group of men that we felt like it'd be a great uh, merger because they brought some good oil quality properties which we were in need of. We were primarily natural gas and brought a team of real good technical engineers and geologists. And then Royal, who is able to raise money for developmental drilling, brought the uh, financing to help develop those fields. And so it's been a great marriage. Uh, Over the past three years, we've drilled over 20 wells, oil wells, no dry holes, and just some really nice, uh, in fact, I'll talk about the one a little bit later, but uh, we're drilling right next to Occidental and uh, uh, Exxon has some property to the north that they're developing and one with uh, Diamondback and Continental. So four of the biggest producers in Texas are surrounding our acreage. 
And uh, so we just feel like uh, it's a great time to be acquiring oil. And that's why uh, we did the merger, because the fundamentals right now, you know, with uh, the uh, world production and demand situation, uh, we're in a very structural supply demand imbalance. So part of that is because the environmental, social governance and climate change fears is keeping a lot of money out of exploration and development. And so there's not been a lot of investment like there was in the old days when you had high prices like we have today. And then uh, at the same time, demand continues to increase. You know, they expect demand to increase 2% this year. We're consuming 100 million barrels per day uh, around the world. And so 2%, that's another 2 million barrels a day additional demand this year. Without the increasing supply coming in to meet that demand, you know, you get a tight, tight supply-demand imbalance. And so there's a couple of things, you know, Russia with the new price cap, they think that could take between a million and two million barrels a day off the market. And then uh, you've got China, which, you know, should be opening up fairly soon from their COVID restrictions. And that could spike demand right there. And so this is why, you know, a lot of people, Jeff Curry at Goldman Sachs, global head of commodities, forecasts $110 next year for oil. So uh, right now, you know, we're seeing the softness in the market because everybody, you know, feels like we're going into a recession next year. China's still, you know, pretty tight on their COVID restrictions. So their demand isn't way up. So I think uh, right now we're just seeing a little bit of softness more because of psychological reasons than uh, fundamentals. I think once the fundamentals are seen, in fact, last week, uh, two, well, two weeks ago, the uh, International Energy Agency said that the uh, inventories, oil inventories dropped by 7 million barrels. And then uh, this week dropped by another 6 million barrels. And so those inventories continue to shrink. You know, last year we had the Biden administration drain the petroleum uh, reserves, strategic petroleum reserves, and took out over 250 million barrels of oil out of it. And so that was artificially supplying the market, yet we still have high prices. So now without that artificial production coming into the market from, you know, draining the petroleum reserve, uh, that'll make things even tighter. Yeah, yeah, get back to the drilling for a second. You, you always hear in the media that all these leases that the government's not allowing to to drill on government land, they're not mm. supplying leases. And I, I'm I'm getting conflicted reports on what that really means. I mean, are you are they preventing people to drill still on these government properties, or is it or is that opening up from your perspective? No, very definitely. They're doing everything they can to stop it. They're saying one thing. They're saying that they're not. Yeah. And other hand, they are. In fact, the uh, Independent Petroleum Association, the head of the Independent Petroleum Association, just said this last week. I mean, he literally called Biden administration liars when they said that they're allowing drilling because with regulations and permitting, you know, they can do a number of things to to slow walk or stop drilling altogether on federal lands. On private lands, you know, they can't do that as, as easily. But certainly on federal and offshore Gulf of Mexico leases, they're definitely putting a, a now, stop. Do they in. challenge you, Don, on your drilling uh, mm-hmm. opportunities? Or they, they push back at your private sectors at all? 
private land, you're okay. And Texas, where they, you know, really depend on oil and gas. So we don't have any trouble getting permits or, or, uh, you know, production permits at all. Now, do you see them refilling the reserve up from excess production, which I don't think is going to happen for a while, but is that, is that a goal of the government to start filling the reserves back up again? Well, it it certainly needs to be because we're down to 380 million barrels in there. We were at 700 million barrels when they came into office. And so, uh, you know, we're we're lower than we were in 1984 when we had a lot higher demand. We had quite a bit more worldwide demand back then. So we're at uh, at a 35, 40 year low in our strategic petroleum reserves and at 389 million barrels. You know, we've consumed 20 million barrels here in the U.S., 20 million barrels per day. So that's about a 20-day supply in our strategic petroleum reserve. Yeah, I remember and, President Trump, he was kind of smart about what he did. He 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 took advantage of the lower price in oil. I think he bought a, millions of barrels of oil for like $10 a barrel. I can't remember the number, but it was really low. Now you have to buy oil at a higher price. I mean, that it's just going to cost a taxpayers a lot of money. Am I correct? Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. Trump went in there and filled it up to 700 million barrels. We were in great shape. And now, uh, just for political reasons, leading up to the the midterms, uh, they drained it, you know, artificially market so that gas prices would stay low. And now we're at a very low, low inventory level. Now, what's the life cycle to replenish that is I'm, I'm assuming there's things in motion, but you know, that's a sizable decrease that happened in a pretty short period of time. How, right. how long does it typically, assuming, you know, the country has a policy to get back up to that level, how long would it typically take to, to do that? Well, it'll depend on, you know, how much they want to buy it at the prevailing price. Uh, you currently said they want to refill it at $70, but I don't see how they can do that you know, going into next year where everybody's Bank of America is predicting $100, JP Morgan uh, is forecasting $98. And then, like I mentioned, Goldman Sachs thinks it'll be 110 right. So if they do start to fill it, you know, even at that level, that'll create more demand and push the price up even higher. So. But certainly no, no new drilling activities would be able to replenish that in any sort of reasonable time, correct? It'll take a while. Yeah. All right. Let, let let's jump in a little bit. Talk about the structure of the of the well that you you have. In other words, when you buy into this well as an investor, tell me how your program works and how, what kind of tax benefits are there. You know, what's the benefit of of having oil and gas as part of your portfolio? Because again, clients ask us all the time, what other asset classes can I have in my investment portfolio? And oil pops up often and i think a lot of people aren't clear how it all works could you kind of outline it for us yeah sure so yeah the tax reform act of 86 exempted the working interest form of ownership in oil and gas from the passive loss rules so when you work invest in an oil well and take that drilling deduction against any ordinary income capital gains any kind of taxable event and in the old days you know it was passive loss passive income but under the working interest form of ownership, which we structure them, uh, you're able to take that deduction against any kind of taxable event, whether it's uh, ordinary income, capital gains, taking money out of your IRA or pension. Quite a few of our clients 
take their required minimum distributions and then put a like amount into the drilling and it completely offsets that taxable event and then creates the monthly income generated from the oil production. Yeah, that income is taxable to to the investor, am I correct? Yeah, so it's going to be 99 income. You do get a 15% depletion allowance, which uh, 15% of the gross income from oil and gas is non-taxable. Right. Right. So, so, uh, so, the, and I know you have to have, you have to qualify to invest into your program. You want to walk a little bit through that, how that works? Yeah. So, ours is a Reg D, it's a 501c project. So, it uh, can be publicly offered. But in order to actually invest in it, you've got to be accredited. And so, the SEC defines an accredited investor as someone who either has a million dollars in net worth or 200,000 per year in income. Only people that can actually uh, invest in the project. Okay. Now, when you look at the oil industry or or, or or the asset class itself, talk about the risk in that asset class. There's, there's risk in everything. That's the first thing I get. Well, if I buy oil, what's the risk of me buying that well? Can you talk about the risk a little bit? Right. So there's always risk. Whenever you drill a well, you know, we've got 3D seismic, we've got good well control, we've got everything defined, but it's not an exact science. So there's always going to be risk of tight sand or water. There's quite a few different risks. And so the the bottom line is, you know, they could be dry holes. So it is, uh, it is a high risk enterprise, but uh, on the upside, you've got a, uh, a low cost acquisition of reserves because you're just paying the actual drilling cost. If you're buying oil through a say you buy a company, you know, you're buying that stock at a multiple seven times cash flow or 20 times earnings. And, uh, you know, if you wanted to buy producing barrels of oil, you'd be paying $70 a barrel for it. Right. But well, for them, you know, you're paying the actual drilling costs. And so say you get a million barrels of oil and you spent 2 million barrels to get that, you know, you divide that out and your lift, your total cost is somewhere around $20 a barrel. So the uh, the actual cost is much lower to drill for oil and gas than it is to, uh, you know. To- yeah, it's tremendous leverage. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, now, when you look at the the wells themselves, I hear some last a long time, some burn out after a while. Give me an average longevity of a well and how long is it producing? So the areas we're producing in, the average life is about 20 years. So that'll, you know, fluctuate. Some will produce more, you know, up to 30 years. Some will produce 12 or 15 years. So an average would be about 20-year life. All right, so get back to your RMD discussion, which is which is interesting. So someone who really doesn't need the uh, necessarily the, well, they need the, the income, but they don't want to pay the tax on that RMD. We get clients complain all the time. I really don't need it, but I got to pay tax on it. What do I do with it? But, but yeah. in this particular case, people that need the income, they could offset, they could take the RMD from their IRA, Put it in a, put it in your program as an example, and get the deduction dollar for dollar, and get the income stream for the next 15, 20 years. Right, correct. Yep, yeah. A lot of people that take it out each year. It's a good way to uh, uh, make almost a tax free withdrawal from their IRA, and then create a monthly income going into the future. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a great approach. Talk a little bit about what your uh, how do you explain 
the running out of oil conversation. I, I you read a lot of articles that we deplete all the oil into the ground and it's a it's not a, not necessarily going to be there forever. And then I hear stories there or read articles that there's so much oil under the ground we don't have to do with it. Give me give me an idea what that that's all about. Yeah, so peak oil they talk about, and uh, you know I think both sides are right. At a certain price, there's going to be plenty of oil going forward. I mean, it, <laughs> yeah. some oil is more economic than others, and so you're not going to go after oil that has a high lifting cost or a high finding cost. Uh, until prices are well above 100. And so at the right price, I think we've got plenty of oil to uh, to last, you know, 100 years or more. But uh, at low prices, you know, they become economic and then they don't drill for them and then we don't have oil. So, so you do have shortages. So really it's a matter of economics of how much oil is available. Yeah, it's always about, it's always about economics, no doubt. Um... Yeah. Well, and... and- Oh, you know, you've got a, another uh, scenario where people, even if it's economic, they're not investing in it because of environmental and social governance and climate change fears. And so there's been a lot uh, written about that lately that, you know, even at these high prices we saw earlier this year at $130 a barrel, a lot of, you know, shale players weren't going out there and drilling because, you know, a lot of the big money markets and people that used to fund their drilling don't want them to, to drill fossil fuels. And so, you know, there's another ingredient in that uh, supply situation. Yeah. Uh, that, that was my, you know, my next question. The future of oil, if you looked at it as a, as a commodity, uh, you said obviously there's enough oil under, under the ground for 100 years plus. Um, mm-hmm. when, you, when you look at oil as a commodity, as part of the – I mean, you need oil for a lot of things. So you don't see oil – being not part of the equation, is it going to be less part of the equation with green energy stepping up? Is it so? What's your read on the green energy side with oil? Is that going to be something that's going to just continue to be a, a stress point, or is oil? Are people going to see oil be a part of that going forward? So the International Energy Agency says you know we'll see peak demand sometime in 2030, about eight years out. So we'll have demand growth for oil going out for another eight years. And so then at that point, you know, maybe we flatten out. Uh, I really don't see us coming down in demand because, uh, you know, with uh, worldwide growth, economic growth. In fact, uh, Alex Green, you know, Alex, John, yeah. yes. he yep. said in one of his newsletters recently that, you know, even if they have the kind of, of level for electric vehicles, which goes to 30% or 50% in 10 years from about 3% now, he said that would only take 3 million barrels per day off the market. And he said worldwide growth will more than make up for that 3 million barrels a day. So he doesn't really see electric vehicles impacting oil demand very much. Yeah, I mean, everything's made from oil. I mean, if you just look at all the products we have around us, you have to, they're oil-based. I mean, how do you... How do you stop that from being part of the equation? Which has always been my moment. Would say, well, how, how does that work? You can't. You can't stop oil. Now, the other part of the conversation is nuclear. Do you see nuclear being part of the equation? Well, it's, it's, nuclear is oh, it's clean. It's got you know all all the attributes that we need. But because of environmental concerns, you know, nuclear isn't a big part of it. But yeah, that could take care of our electricity problem. All right. So, hurry. so it's more of a political and environmental push 
back yes. at oil and these other uh, strategies that they kind of puts a little stress in the marketplace. Right. Uh, so, so I, I guess when you look at oil as part of a portfolio, uh, I know you're not a portfolio manager. What do you normally see people from a percentage putting oil in their investment accounts or their, their accounts? Do you see a large portion of their portfolios? Yeah. You know, I've heard uh, financial advisors say, you know, five to 10%. Okay. And I think it really just matters, uh, depends on what their objectives are. But, you know, we've always seen oil as a good way to, you know, have an, a hard asset that is stored in the ground. It's produced out for monthly income. You know, even in a recession or a depression, people are still going to be buying oil. So you're still going to get cash flow. So I, I think it's a good uh, asset to have, you know, in times of turmoil, you know, when you've got a uh, stock market collapsed or bank situations, you've got a hard asset that's stored in the ground and produced out for monthly income. Yeah. Now, not, not, not to jump into something political, but now that the Republicans take over the House in January, do you see any positive swing towards oil with the Republicans in charge of the purse, or is that something that's not going to change? Uh, you know, I think as long as they're in, they've got the White House, you know, the administration has control of the EPA and the Energy Department and, you know, all the different cabinet levels, I think it's going to stay the same. Okay. There's no do just in the House other than stop them from, you know, changing the tax code or something. But even the Democrats wouldn't let them do that. Uh, in September of 2021, I think it was, the House banking committee rejected biden's plea to get rid of the the intangible drilling costs there was enough uh texas congressmen on there that you would think so sure yep congressmen they said no we're not going to get rid of those so yeah don one question sort of related to what you just just discussed and what you talked about a little bit earlier are there are two, if I'm understanding the the oil and energy world, which I'm certainly not an expert in, but there, there's two different worlds. There's the working interests, which you just discussed and what your programs offer, which does allow for that uh, intangible drilling cost deduction. But is there another side? Is, there the, is it that the royalty side that doesn't allow for that upfront deduction? Yeah. So if you were to buy minerals, you know, if you were to buy the actual uh, royalty, then that would not be deductible. You would not get a tax deduction on that. The deduction comes when you actually do the drilling, the intangible drilling cost deduction and the purchase of the wellhead equipment, which you can depreciate or now you can get the bonus depreciation. So it's when you actually uh, invest in the development of the reserves it's when you get the write-off. Yeah, that's I think a key component for listeners that, that might, you know, think about looking into this more closely. Just be aware that you really have to, if you're looking at it from a tax deduction standpoint, you really have to be cognizant of what type of oil and energy investment you're getting involved in. Correct. Right. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. If you buy the actual working interest then uh, you get all the deductions are available to you. If you buy a partnership, limited partnership, that's deemed to be passive income. And so you don't get the tax write-off. You can take the tax write-off, but you can only take it against passive income. You can't right. take it against your other ordinary income or your other capital gains or 
you know, IRA distribution. Hey, Don, this is great. Before we end the session today, is there any great wisdom that you have that you could guide us with? Is there, I, I, I want to be positive about what's going on in our, in our, in our communities. There's something positive that you can talk about with oil, oil and gas. We did talk a lot about gas. I'm sorry. Gas has a, a most certainly a, a future as well. Is there something that you can talk about with gas before we end? Yeah, natural gas, you know, is a great commodity as well. It's clean burning. You know, it's that what they call the bridge fuel to get to, you know, the no carbon uh, energy future. But uh, yeah, it's very clean burning and abundant. Got plenty of natural gas here. And in fact, we're exporting it now. Quite a few terminals are being built to export it to Europe. Going to bail them out over there with their situation. that's That's good. So, yeah, natural gas. In fact, uh, you know, the oil wells that we're drilling throw off natural gas. So that's a component of the economics as well. Get uh, good natural gas from them. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Hey, Don, listen, this is great today. I, You know, you and I chatted about oil and gas through the years, and I, I appreciate all your support to me personally as an investor and also to the community that you you kind of represent. It's a it's good education. A lot of people get confused about what's really going on behind the scenes, but I think you were helpful today to kind of get that across. Mike, do you have any other thoughts? No, Don, this has been great. I echo what you just said, Don. This is a, a topic that often comes up in conversations with clients and I think this was a really good podcast to sort of get their feet wet, uh, enlighten them a little bit on on that world, and hopefully listeners find some value. Thank you again. Good. Well, thanks for having me. Always enjoy talking with you guys. And Always a uh, pleasure. Look, yeah, again, uh, real soon. Don, this has been fantastic. And, and Michael, you said it, you know, people are going to be able to use this podcast to get their feet wet. However, if they don't want to just get their feet wet, maybe they want to dive in a little bit deeper. Um, I know that you two are the ones to talk to uh, and, and chat about this and see how this could possibly be a part of everything that they're doing. How do they get a hold of you? Well, you could always reach us on social media. LinkedIn uh, is, is where we do a lot of activity. You could always reach our website is www.cb fgllc.com. Fantastic. Guys, again, thank you so much for this, Don. Wonderful guest. Thank you. And of course, our last thank you always goes to the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast with John and Michael Paris. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it and leave a review as this actually helps others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. 
Please consult your own tax legal or accounting professional before making any decisions. Copper Beach is not affiliated with American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc., a member of FINRA SIPC, Investment Advisory and Financial Planning Services offered through American Portfolio Advisors, Inc., an SCC Registered Investment Advisor. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Any opinion expressed in this forum is not the opinions of American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolio Advisors, Inc. and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy. American Portfolios and Copper Beach Financial Group are not affiliated with any other named business entities mentioned.